Hello, and welcome to 360, United Way of Central Ohio's podcast. I'm your host, Kermit Whitfield, and I am here today with our Senior Vice President of Community Impact, Michael Wilkos. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Kermit. Glad to be here. You are known as somebody in the uh, local community who has been deeply involved in community impact and helping disadvantaged folks for a very long time. You've worked at United Way uh, in previous years. You've worked for many years at the Columbus Foundation. Now you're back at United Way leading our community impact work here. And I'm wondering, because you have such a deep knowledge of our community, can you give us just a brief snapshot of some of the challenges that we're facing uh, right now, people in, uh, especially people who are in poverty, but but folks who are, you know, maybe not in poverty, on the edge of poverty, and are struggling to make ends meet. Uh, thanks, Kermit. It's glad to be back here uh, at United Way. It's an exciting time for Columbus because the city is on such a growth trajectory, specifically relative to the rest of Ohio. So when you look at the census data or other economic indicators, Columbus is doing great. We are outperforming uh, both the state and the nation, both in population growth and in employment growth, which is great for the central Ohio economy. But there's a new normal that is rather disturbing for folks, and that is that there are these two things that are now true. We are at full employment, according to the most recent statistics, we're below 4%, which is what many economists believe is full employment. Um, But too many of the jobs that have been created since the recovery started in 2010 simply are not paying people a living wage. So Columbus has a lot of folks that are employed. They are essentially working full-time. That is either that they have a full-time job or they're working multiple part-time jobs, but they simply don't have enough income. Uh, to meet their living expenses, particularly around the case that housing is uh, going up more than wages, um, and that's creating uh, difficulty for people. So again, we have these things like full employment. Uh, We're expected to create another 18,000 jobs this year after creating 20,000 jobs in 2017, but we're also experiencing a record number of evictions. And we've never had these conflicts that are both occurring at the same time. Typically, you'll see Uh, increase in need, say increase in poverty or an increase in evictions when times are tough, but now times are good and those things are still true. So that's maybe a a new thing for the nonprofit sector to react to. Yeah, so that's interesting that we have a unique situation. So it's a unique challenge and I assume then that means we need to have some unique solutions. We had to think in a way that we haven't thought in the past because the inputs and the ways that we've dealt with these sorts of things in the past uh, aren't necessarily going to work again because it's a unique situation. Yeah, I think there's also, there's several reactions to that. One is that, you know, many of us believe that government's role is to support those that are the most vulnerable, those that are below the federal poverty guideline for earned income, which is a relatively low bar. But those are the people who are not working even in good times because they have a major barrier that prevents them from working, right? They have an intellectual disability or a physical disability, and they're just not gonna have the same opportunities to participate in the labor market that you or I do. Then there's those folks who are, during good economic times, let's say they're contract employees, they're part-time employees, they're seasonal employees, they're part-time employees, that they don't get benefits. So that means they don't get paid vacation time, they don't get paid sick time. Um, if business isn't good that week, they don't have to work, they don't work as many hours. Right. Um, and if your margin between stability and insecurity is very slim, you have that small setback, you become vulnerable very quickly. Your food insecurity, your housing stability, um, you have a, a sick child, um, or the 
bus routes change and now all of a sudden your connection between where you live and where you work becomes more difficult or is harder to get to. That's where the nonprofit sector really, I think, is most needed. And I think we're seeing that during even good times, the nonprofit sector is going to be a really important part of keeping people stable. And I think that there's this recognition that many people are starting to have that there's not just one nonprofit that typically is able to provide all of the services that different members of a family need, that it's a collection of agencies. So it might be academic enrichment or homework assistance or after-school programming for children, but then there's also the programs where people need to both get a job and keep a job and stay stable in that employment or have that kind of housing assistance. And so typically you find that many of our clients are going to multiple nonprofits in order to make ends meet. That might mean a food pantry, that might mean a settlement house in your community, and it might be an employment program from Jewish Family Services or, uh, say, Salvation Army. Right. So that's kind of the sweet spot for United Way. Yeah. Right. So that we're supporting probably a lot of these places that folks are going to to meet their multiple and varied needs are places that United Way is supporting. And kind of an argument for thinking about as folks are giving that when they give, that there may be a nonprofit that they feel very strongly about that have a personal connection to that they're giving to, but also uh, giving to United Way to the Community Impact Fund kind of broadens that a bit, right? It does. Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, it's that recognition that at different times, even in the course of a year, different family members and at different times of the year, you might need different services, which means you as the recipient for yourself or for another family member are navigating that system. And so the goal of United Way would be is to provide funding around education and workforce development and basic needs, uh, support in neighborhoods, so that when you need those services, they are readily available and you can take advantage of them when you need them. All right. So for example, just let's hone in on one thing here, workforce development, right? So we support, I believe, seven programs mm -hmm. in that uh, area right now and we focus on just those vulnerable populations you were talking about right people who may have barriers because as you pointed out earlier in a full employment economy like what we have now if you're an able-bodied person with uh, some education probably and you want to work then probably you're employed now or on the way to being employed would that be fair to say it is and so let me talk about that specifically for a minute. So the federal guideline for earned income for a single person is just under $15,000. So if you make over $15,000 a year, you are no longer eligible for many government supports because you're above that guideline. I think we would all recognize that if you're a single individual and you're making $17,000, you're a minimum wage employee, you're probably not able to make ends meet. So let's talk about, um, so just because you may not be below the poverty line, again, doesn't mean that life is good for you. And I think that a lot of our workforce development programs, a lot of our other agencies are working in that space where people may be just above that poverty line, but they're above what we consider to be 200% of the federal poverty line, which is often what we consider to be living wage or the income that you need to meet housing, food, monthly expenses. Right. And, that, and that's one of the challenges, right, of mm -hmm. talking about poverty is if you're defining it by the federal poverty level, that is so low mm -hmm. now that it really does not, to your point, it really does not get to what people need to survive. Exactly. So the if you look at the federal poverty guideline, 16.7% of Franklin County falls below that guideline. 
But if we broaden that definition to include those who are really struggling to make ends meet, that need multiple supports, who but are working, right? Let's be very clear, the majority of people yeah. who are struggling in this community are employed. Um, that number goes to about 32% of our county, which is struggling. That's about, that's just over 400,000 individuals are having a hard time making ends meet in Franklin County. Um, if you are employed, full-time year-round if you can get a job on January 1st and keep it through the end of the year the poverty rate for that demographic is 2.2 percent so yes employment is a very important stepping stone to economic self-sufficiency but just because you are employed full-time doesn't mean that life is good for you and so I often think when I'm uh, in line at the grocery store um, and you look at cashiers and service workers these are the people who are working multiple jobs but are having a hard time keeping a roof over their head and uh, keeping food on their table for their family yeah and those are statistics that are both startlingly bad I think for, for mm -hmm. you know when you talk about that essentially one-third of the people in Franklin County not being able to meet their their needs and many of those folks as you point out are now above a level at which they are no longer receiving the government help that has helped them to make ends meet in the past. Uh, but two, that statistic you just gave, about 2% of folks, if they're employed full-time, that's another, I mean, to my mind, that is startlingly surprising, almost to a positive yes. side of things, you know, it's because it says there is a way that we can help people very effectively, and that is to help these people, especially ones with barriers, get jobs and remain employed. Absolutely. So let's talk about what are some of the uh, big issues that prevent people from getting a job or keeping the job for an entire year. Uh, reliable transportation, right? Or a bus system that is responding to the widening geographic spread of where the jobs are in our region. Uh, chronic disease management, right? If you don't have health insurance or if you don't have paid sick time uh, and you're not eating a healthy, balanced diet um, and you're stressed, you're gonna get sick. And if you get sick, you're not gonna to come to work. Um, and, and that's gonna be a setback. Reliable daycare for children. If you um, are a single parent household and you wanna participate in the workforce, you work second shift or third shift or even first shift. There just aren't enough early childhood slots, particularly maybe in the neighborhood in which you live or in the neighborhood in which you work. And then just the difficulty of getting one or two children on the bus with you and then finding reliable daycare at the end of the route, let alone the beginning of the route, it just becomes very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And, and United Way is helping in many of those ways, right? United Way has always been helping in those ways. I mean, that is the broad-based view that United Way has always taken uh, with its funded partners and its service providers is that it has uh, investments, again, in education, workforce development, basic needs, supporting neighborhoods, good health, um, that really help people navigate uh, the economic system uh, when they need it. And the need, so we've, since the recession, mm -hmm. to your point, I mean, the economy has gotten a lot better. We're at essentially full employment. And in central Ohio, out of all of Ohio, for example, has really been drawing people in. I mean, it's estimated that we may uh, increase by as much as a million folks between now and 2050. So we are an economic magnet that are drawing people in. What do you think are some of the things as we look forward to this that both United Way and other community leaders and, and entities, where are the areas where you think we can focus on to make the most difference? So there's lots of things in that question. Uh, let me first uh, set the Unpack stage. Unpack it. 
Right. Let me set the stage of how and why Columbus is growing. Just over half of our growth is due to natural increase, which is births minus deaths. So regardless of how the economy is doing, this region is going to continue to grow because we are a young region with regard to median age. And so we have a lot of people in those childbearing years. About 25% of our growth is due to the arrival of uh, new Americans, and they are coming to Columbus as opposed to anywhere else in the state because of the economic opportunity that's here and because of the jobs. And then Columbus is the only region in the state of Ohio where more American-born folks are moving into than out of on an annual basis. So why is Columbus growing so rapidly in a no-growth state and in a slow-growth part of the region? It's for those three reasons. We're growing in every way a city can grow. And the interesting thing is going to be, where will that growth occur? Um, will it be equitably divided? Will we see population growth begin in places like Linden and the South Side, which are two of our priority neighborhoods? Um, those are neighborhoods in which people have been trying to get out of for decades because of crime and violence, maybe lack of uh, high quality school choice or lack of employment opportunities in those neighborhoods. So we continue to invest in those communities to stabilize those communities so they can work for the people who live there and they can be attractive as the population of our region grows, that people will think about Linden and the South Side because they have good quality housing stock because there is the delivery of social services in those neighborhoods that you can live there. We're starting to see growth in places that we've not seen them in the past. Some of those in-town neighborhoods surrounding downtown, the area around Nationwide Children's Hospital on the south side, uh, Wyland Park, Near East, Franklinton. But we're also seeing population growth in places like Whitehall, which have been declining for 30 years because of those changing demographics. And then there's the changing demographics of just who lives in our society, right? Younger people, empty nesters, they make decisions differently than families with children. Uh, so that's why I think United Way is really focused on both people strategies and place strategies because they're both important. So we can create economically integrated uh, neighborhoods that provide opportunity for all of those who live there. That is a perfect segue for part two, because in part two, I want to talk a little bit more about neighborhoods. You brought up our priority neighborhoods of Linden and the South Side, and I want to expand a little bit on that, more about our work in neighborhoods, and also his experience in neighborhoods, and some of the things that he has seen work, and where we think we can go from here. So thanks for tuning in. Please tune in for part two with Michael Wilkos, coming very soon. Thanks, Kermit.